Hello and welcome. It's great that you can join me on Search for Truth Radio today. This is your Bible study program with teacher Brian Johnston. Once again, Brian's study takes us into God's astounding power, authority and control. And this time we'll see how God raises up Pharaoh in order to showcase his mighty power, both over Pharaoh and also the people of Egypt. Let's remind ourselves that this 14-week series, of which this is number four, is called Our God Reigns, Studies on the Awesome Sovereignty of God. But now, here's Brian. Thanks, John. The escape of the Israelites out of Egypt is the main Bible example of deliverance, symbolising the deliverance God offers us in and through Jesus, his Son. If we are at all familiar with the basic storyline of the Old Testament, then we can conjure up in our minds the standoff between Moses and Pharaoh. This was so much more, as the Bible tells us, than the leader of the enslaved people pitting his wits and will against the leader of their oppressors, with both sides invoking their respective deities. At one point, God addresses Pharaoh, as mentioned in Exodus 9 verse 16, and he says, But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power, and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. That's how involved God was. But let's start further back in history with a woman praying about her difficult pregnancy. Genesis 25 and verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. I think we can assume that Rebecca, the woman in question, shared this revelation with her husband. Isaac, however, seemed partial to his eldest, who was an outdoors action figure, a game hunter. He was definitely partial to the food that Esau, his eldest, served him. On the other hand, Rebecca's favourite was Jacob. But even if this was because she remembered God's prediction, she didn't seem to believe God could keep his promise without her using her own cunning to give God some assistance. But we're running ahead. The kids haven't yet been born. Let's go attend the birth. Verse 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. It does seem that in his early life, Jacob couldn't wait to get his hands on what was his brother's. God had told Rebekah the way things were going to be, with the older son serving his younger brother. And he'd said this was not based on their respective early years' performance. He decreed this before they were even born. So obviously it was quite independent of anything they'd done. That didn't come into it. In fact, God specifically wants us to notice this. Let the Apostle Paul explain it from Romans chapter 9. He's talking about God's purposes with Israel. Verse 10, Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins, 
by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. And in case we should think this is an isolated case, as opposed to something illustrating a divine principle, Paul adds our earlier example of the Pharaoh at the time of the Exodus. Romans 9 verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. There's something profound here. We are being allowed some insight into the sovereign workings of God. In this latest Bible example of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, if we were to check back to the book of Exodus and the story of how he refused to give the Israelites their freedom, we'd find that we sometimes read of Pharaoh hardening his own heart, and at other times it's said to be God who's hardening his heart, which raises the potential conflict in our minds between divine sovereignty on the one hand and human responsibility on the other. How can we have a real choice if God has actually already chosen what's going to happen? Perhaps we could try an analogy here. Even with our modern scientific understanding, in the natural realm, there are things that we just can't seem to reconcile. Take the nature of light, for example. There's real evidence that light exists as light waves. Some experiments show it to behave in a way comparable to, say, water waves. But at the same time, there's just as good evidence to show that light and its energy come in little packets, more like particles. The only way that we can live with that state of affairs in the natural world is by inventing a name for it. An antinomy describes the situation where we have two things which to us are contradictory, and yet there's good evidence for both. In a similar way, the Bible most definitely teaches both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But we tend to shy away from things that are difficult for us to understand, like when it comes to God's involvement in making things happen. And so it's tempting to try to respond to this by saying, oh well, God knows in advance what's going to happen, and so he can tell us in advance what the future holds. But that doesn't satisfy the language God uses here. Listen to this inspired commentary as Paul continues in Romans 9, from verse 18 now. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing moulded will not say to the moulder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for common use. 
What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. In any case, when the Bible speaks of God knowing the future, the word means to know with approval. It's not a passive knowledge, nor can it be where God is concerned. The question was asked there, who resists God's will? In terms of our salvation and eternal destiny, the Bible would fully support that no more than God wills to be saved will be saved. But equally, no fewer than the whosoever wills will be saved. In other words, no fewer than all who willingly come to Christ for salvation will be saved. But equally, no more than those whom the Father draws to his Son will be saved. It's not something based on any good in us, as simply foreseen by God. God's sovereignty includes the fact that Christ's death was effective for all those for whom it was intended to be effective. These receive mercy, while all others receive justice, there being no injustice with God. So the story of Pharaoh and the Exodus has plunged us into deep water, offering us a glimpse into something very profound. It all demonstrates God's sovereign grace. Really, Paul, by the Spirit of God, has anticipated in that passage we read from Romans chapter 9, all the questions we want to ask too. For example, if it comes down to the will of God operating in our lives, how come God can still find fault with us? Well, if we stay close to the language of the Bible, and in a subject like this, we really have to, then we'd have to come to say that being of a depraved mind and being dead in sins, we had no ability of our own to come to Christ for salvation. So it had to be God's work. But at the same time, we were held responsible. After all, didn't Christ describe unbelieving Jews of his day as being like chicks that wouldn't come to the mother hen? He was holding them accountable, responsible for their response. We then find an almost irresistible urge to cry out, but that's surely not fair. We have no ability, but God still holds us responsible. And it's good that we feel like this. For again, Paul by the Spirit anticipates exactly that kind of reaction, which reassures us that we must be on right lines after all. And this is where Paul parks the debate. For it's ridiculous to think of the mere clay of humanity criticising the divine potter. But does that mean God is responsible for people going to a lost eternity? Not at all. There can be no injustice with God. All the clay was spoilt, but that wasn't the potter's fault. And he certainly has the right over the clay to do with some spoilt part of it, something which that part deserves no more than the rest. Well, we can even thank Pharaoh for his contribution to helping us strip away any remaining pride we may still have in thinking we even made the tiniest contribution to our salvation. More importantly, this impressive teaching of God's sovereignty provides us with the last word in complete assurance 
But once saved, we can never be lost again. Let's not be foolish enough to expect that we can fully get our heads round God and his perfect ways. But instead, let's simply bow our hearts in worship. As usual, these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. And here's how to obtain the book. Just write in and ask for the title, Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8 dy uk our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info it's been great to enjoy your company uh, so thanks again and i hope to see you again next time when brian considers how it's the sovereign god who's in control over all things and sets the limits for humanity and for world events but for now it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you.